Here we are. And today we have the privilege of Pastor Phil bringing the word of God. And uh, if you don't know Pastor Phil and Audrey uh, and Parker, uh, they, they came here to the church three years ago and uh, said yes to a challenge. And in the three years that they've been here, they bring joy wherever they go. They've brought life to our church. They've invested in our community. And uh, on Thursdays, Pastor Phil is over at Westwood Middle School serving in the cafeteria and just giving his best to the school system. And the people around our community know him because he's a true believer and he's got the true love for people. He's an, ex an example of what I want to be when I grow up. Would you give it up for Pastor Phil? Uh, man, uh, how do you follow that up? Um, Pastor Nate, it is an honor, man, to, to have the, the trust to hold this pulpit. Um, I was in Westwood Middle School this weekend. Actually, there was a, a volunteer that attends Emmanuel uh, that looked at me and asked, they're like, are you nervous? I go, uh, I, I, I am, like, but like an excited nervous. Why? You, is there something else I should be nervous for? They're like, that's, that's the pulpit where Pastor Mark preached from, Pastor Dwight. There has been men of God at that pulpit. I'm like, well, I feel like I think I need to pray a little bit more <laughs> before I take that pulpit. But it is, a, it is an honor to be up here. Uh, it's a weight that, um, that I don't take lightly. It's a weight that throughout the years you've seen men of God up on this stage stewarding what God has given them in such a way that it would inspire hope in a community that would move us forward as a body of believers. And uh, even today's message, um, these, these men have uh, just kind of embodied it and just where the trends of culture have tried to pressure people to go different ways. Uh, Pastor Mark, Pastor Dwight, and Pastor Nate have not bent to the trends of culture, but have bent to the will of God saying, God, your will be done in Emmanuel as it is in heaven. And so Pastor Nate, it's an honor, man. So just can we give it up for our, our pastor here this morning, show some honor. No, it, it's exciting to be with you. It's an exciting time to be a part of Emmanuel right now. As Pastor Nate was mentioning with Hello Possible, uh, in a next-gen department, we are ecstatic right now. Um, if you come on a Wednesday night, whether in kids or in youth, you would see that it is just overflowing with energy. If you think I have joy, I mean... They make me look like I don't care about life, just the amount of energy that's exuding through these hallways. And, but what we're finding is we don't have space for every person that walks in. And so we're excited because as we move forward, as we expand this body, as we kind of uh, do a, a, a remix, if you will, we're going to continue to meet the needs of this community in a way that we have not seen in the last 53 years. So when we say that the best is yet to come, we truly believe that. We honor what has taken place, but we know God has more in store. God's not just a God of better, he's a God of new. And so we believe there's a new thing he wants to do in Emmanuel. So with Hello Possible coming up, man, listen, some of y'all might need to hang around some youth because there's going to be a lot more coming in through these doors the next few years as we have a facility that can facilitate the, the needs of a community and help partner with the education system. So it's an exciting time to be a part of Emmanuel. So in the few moments that I have with you guys here today, uh, I just want to talk about something uh, called presence, not presence as in gift. That's my wife's love language. But no, the presence, uh, the present, the power of presence. And, uh, and here's what I mean by that. There are those of you that, I mean, maybe not all of you, but 
at work or in school, you might tend to drift on Facebook or social media when you're like, you know what, I deserve this five-minute break, and you're on social media or whatever that might be, but then your boss walks in or a teacher walks in and you quickly log out of the, the social media, you close your computer, there's the power of presence. Uh, for those of you like Pastor Nate that, that drive the speed limit, um, you don't worry about this one, but when you're driving and all of a sudden a cop car comes into your lane, it's like you naturally just slow down, or it's the power of presence. Um, uh, for those of you fans, uh, sport fans out there, it might be it's your, the favorite player, the quarterback, the star player of your team went out, and all hope is lost. But then you see them coming, running through the tunnel, there's the eye of the tigers playing in the background, and they step back in the huddle, and you're like, we about to win this game. We're not going home. And it's the power of presence. Uh, parents and, and homes, uh, we've experienced this before, where a mother has kind of reached this boiling point with the kids, and she's done, and she lets out this phrase that for years has instilled fear into young people. It's like a Minnesota wind chill to the bones. If you would, if you know the sentence, could you help me finish it? It's, wait till your father, Lord, the, the fear of God came in me in those moments. I also wanted to share with you uh, an embarrassing moment. Uh, I, I've learned in times of watching speakers up here, people relate a little bit more to maybe some of the failures, like, oh, you're human too. Yes, we are all very human. Uh, uh, my wife and I recently celebrated five years of being married, and so there is a God. And so we met back in North Central University, and uh, I had heard from God before she did about the relationship. She was kind of, I don't know if it's disobedience or whatnot, and just, <laughs> well, just like God, I mean, that's just between her and God. But I had heard from the Lord and, and was actively pursuing this wonderful young lady, and uh, she was kind of playing a little bit more hard to get. At the time, I, had play, I was playing on the North Central basketball team. I was a sophomore. And uh, in practice one day, for us short guys, our dreams are to dunk. For those of you who are like, what's dunking? It's where you take the ball, you jump up, and you put it in the rim without a ladder or a chair or jumping off of somebody's back, okay? And so one day in practice, I don't know if it was the adrenaline or whatever it was, I had never dunked before in my life. And my friend Ryan Lee threw the ball up and I went and I caught it and I put it in and we are like, ah! I'm like, I was checking, I'm like, did I hit another growth spurt? I don't know what happened. This is, puberty came late. It was just, it was awesome. And so Ryan goes, man, we got, we got a basketball showcase happening here in a few weeks. You should be in the dunk contest. And here's the deal, like, men, if you stroke, the e if you stroke a man's ego well enough, he'll do anything. <laughs> it could be stupid. <laughs> he'll do it. I knew I couldn't dunk, but he goes, man, you should be in the dunk contest. I'm like, yeah, I should be in the dunk contest. He goes, everybody in the school is gonna see you. They're gonna be like, Phil can dunk. I'm like, yeah, they're gonna see it. They're gonna see it. It's all about me. And so we get, <laughs> to this basketball showcase and everybody, the gym is starting to pack up. The guys that could actually dunk start dunking. They're throwing it off the wall, windmill and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you ain't seen a 5'8 white guy dunk before. Nope, nope, that's cool to do that. Do your stretching, I'm about to dunk. And so it gets my turn and I grab the ball and I start wiping my shoes off and people are like, wait, wait, is, is Phil gonna throw the ball up? It's like, wait, what, why is Phil out here? And my friend Ryan Leak is on the mic and he's emceeing, he's like, oh yeah, Phil Johnson. I'm like, yeah, that's my name, that's my name, yep, yep. And so I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready. And as I wind up to go up for the dunk, I didn't see it, but Audrey starts to walk in the gym. 
Now, my friend Ryan, God bless the best friends who think that they just need to let us know about everything. Um, <laughs> as I'm winding up for this, he's on the microphone and through the, and he sees Audrey. He sees Audrey walk in. And he goes, Phil, Audrey's here. <laughs> I wish I could tell you this ends well. <laughs> so as I'm winding up mid-motion, I look over and I'm like, the Lord spoke to her and she listened. That's what I was thinking at that point. But as I'm going up, my momentum now has been taken away. I'm like, okay, I got to try to recover. So I, I bring my arm back and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's about to be in like with me after this. It's about to be on. It's great. And so I go up and now I'm supposed to throw the ball in the rim. But what happened was reality hit. And I threw the ball at the front of the rim. And the momentum, I hit it so hard, the momentum caused me to fly backwards. And I, I try to catch myself, and I wind up spraining my ankle in front of everybody. I collapse on the gym floor. And if the embarrassment wasn't large enough that it was in front of the school, I look up, and Audrey was walking out of the gym. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, don't worry. It ended, ended with the ring, so we're still good. But in that, I, I, I share that, that story with you because there's a power in presence. That in that moment, the sheer presence of Audrey in that room dictated and changed my trajectory. It changed my direction, it changed my focus. And I believe, how much more powerful is it that when our Heavenly Father steps into our world, how much more powerful is it when God begins to step into our story the directions that are changed, the things that are impacted. You see, we've seen time and time again the power of this. There's those of you in here that have stories of healing, stories of hope. There are many of us in this room that unless God would have stepped into our story, we would not be sitting here this morning. It is a very, very real thing, the power of presence. I want to take a look at a story this morning that I think illustrates this in a very real way that we can apply uh, today, tomorrow, and moving forward here, it's the story of Moses. And it's found, and, we've, and the power that's found in, in God's presence in pursuing and seeking and following the presence of God. Now, I'm going to be jumping into the text of Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 through 17 here in a moment. I'll let you turn there. But I want to give you a little backstory here, a little set up the text a little bit here this, mo uh, this morning. Uh, it's gonna, Numbers 9, 15. To 23, the uh, scripture is going to be on the screen, but I'm going to paraphrase it here a little bit for you this morning. And it talks about the Israelites, the people that Moses was leading, that God showed himself to them in a pillar of smoke as a fire. And wherever this smoke, wherever this cloud lifted, the Israelites would pack up and move with it. That wherever this cloud stopped, they would stop and they would unpack. That when it stayed, they stayed. Wherever this cloud went, hundreds of thousands of families would pick up and move in an instant because this cloud moved. God's presence moved. We see in verse 23 in Numbers 9 that it says, in accordance with God's command through Moses. Through Moses. See, there's a part of this journey I want to land on, like I said, in Exodus chapter 33. And there's some questions in here that I wanted to ask. Because you think about this, you look at this text and you go, why would they move every time this cloud moved? Why would hundreds of thousands of families move every time this cloud moved? 
My wife and I, we've moved a couple times, and there's many people here today that you can relate to that. It's moving's not fun. Packing up the boxes, labeling, getting the truck and all that stuff. They moved every time. Because the truth is we might have the Christian answer to say this morning, but God, because God has commanded us to do many of things that we have chosen not to do or act like we didn't hear it before. But what we see with Moses, he led them through this every time. Why? Why? Why would Moses go through this every time? We're going to jump into our text here. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 through 17. And Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation, this is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not Send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I love this passage because there's such a desperation in Moses' voice. See, in in a day of social media where um, everybody wants the credit, I could imagine that there was a few individuals within the Israelite camp that was trying to give Moses all this credit for where they were at. Moses led us out of Egypt. Moses is the best leader of all time. Moses did this. Where Moses is like, listen, I'm the one that tried to talk God out of me leading you out of Egypt. Moses knew who actually led them out of Egypt. There are those that are posting pictures on Facebook. Look what Moses got for us. We got quail. We got manna. We about to eat Thanksgiving every day. Moses knew who the provider was. Might have people that have been posting pictures and tagging him in pictures of, Moses has got me this water out of rock. Moses is the best. Moses is the greatest. Moses knew who the picture cred went to. He knew who the provider was of the water from the rock. You see, we need to almost begin to adopt this, this same desperation that we see in Moses. Like, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. I'm not going if you're not there. It's like somebody invites you to parties. Is God going to be there? No, I ain't going. No. Man, we're about to go check out this movie. Hey, is, is God going? He hasn't got back to me. Well, I ain't going. No. Because we get, it's so interesting in today's society how we are so caught up in the fantastic lives of the enemy. Where instead of being spirit-led, we are emotion-driven. Thinking, oh man, this is good. It must be from God. Have you spent time in his presence saying, God, is this you? Are you in this? Are you going before me in this? And we wonder then why we get caught up in such mess and and chaos when, once again, we're being emotion-driven rather than spirit-led. We almost need to get good at saying no to the enemy. Because some of us, we're like, ah, maybe... And we dance around the edge and we wonder why when just a life blows a little harder, we fall off the edge. God, where were you? I wasn't dancing on the edge. (laughs) We got to be spirit-led and not emotion-driven. We got to have that desperation. Moses knew it was only God's presence that separated them from everyone else on that earth. It was the only thing. It was God's presence that was guiding them, leading them, partnering with them in their journey. 
God with them. See, it did not matter how other nations aligned their government, their strategies, their plans. Moses had one principle. If God does not go with us, if your presence does not go with us, we will not go from here. Do we have the same mentality, Emmanuel? Do we have the same mentality when we are pursuing new business opportunities, new educational realms, family decisions, school decisions? Do we have that same mentality? God, are you in this? God, are you going before me on this one? Is your presence with us on this? So the couple questions before we look at here today, what we look at with Moses, what I love about this, this almost like desperate obedience, like God, I have to obey you, otherwise I'm gonna die. Because here's what we see in the story of Moses, a little random point off from our topic here today. We're not called to succeed, we're called to obey. Success is the byproduct of our obedience. Success is the byproduct of us, our obedience in following God. How do we not, even in the business world, you see, it's, you don't just step up and walk into the office and say, I'm about to win today. There's a, there's a, a, a level of discipline with your work and following up and, and the different practices and principles in each and every layer of, of, our, of our workplaces. There needs to be obedience. God does not call us to success. He calls us to obedience. Success is just the byproduct of that. And so in following God, in following his presence, do we have the same desperation as Moses did? Do we have that same mentality today? A scary thought looking at the kind of landscape of, of church and, and, and just individuals, what would your life look like if God's presence wasn't evident in your life? Think about that for a moment. There are some where, where pride clouds the thought process saying, no, you're good, you don't need God. You've made it here on your own. Listen, you don't know how many people have been praying for you. How God's presence, I mean, the prayers of a mother. I am evidence of a prayer of a mom who has prayed desperate prayers for her boy. There's a presence. And a scary question to ask is, God, what would my life look like without your presence? And so as we move forward, there's power in the, that's found in God's presence. There's power in his presence that cannot be recreated by anyone or anything. According to this text, here's what we also discover that is found as we seek and follow the presence of God. The first thing we find is it is in his presence that we find rest. It is in his presence that we find rest. See, let's call it what it is. Life is hard. Life is hard, you guys. I mean, I don't know anybody's like, man, you know what? I, everyone in this room at one point has been beaten down by life. Like, man, I need an extra two weeks of vacation just to catch back up. I mean, we got young adult singles that are like, man, God, why am I still single? God, give me somebody. Well, little do they know that two rows ahead, they got the married individuals going, God, I want to be single again. Take them. <laughs> we all got problems. We all got problems. And with the problems in life, it, it constantly wears and tears. But when we find rest, we, when we seek after his presence, there's a rest there's a, a rejuvenation that we find in our Heavenly Father that can't be found anywhere else. Pete Scazzaro, author of a phenomenal book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, has a quote that has really rocked me as I move forward as a, as a young man trying to, to work hard. And I know this is going to um, resonate with you guys. He says, if your doing for God does not come out of a being with God, we become human doings rather than human beings that God created us to be. 
If you're doing for God, I'm doing this for you, God. I'm doing this for you. Really? So we haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> if your doing for God does not come out of a being with God, we resort to become human doings rather than the human beings that God created us. There is rest found in his presence there is rest found in his presence. Number two that we pick up. It is in his presence that we discover purpose and identity. Purpose and identity. Here's in verse 15 through 16, you see Moses pleading before God. How will they know that we're any different from them? How will they know our purpose? How will they know who we are? You say you know us by name, but how will they know? Recently, uh, my young boy, uh, we have, my wife and I were blessed with a, an amazing 19-year-old boy named Parker Robert Johnson. He loves basketball. He gets it from his mother. Um, uh, but he loves, loves basketball. Like, we'll take him to a park. There'll be 25 slides there, all this stuff, kids playing, having fun. He'll see one basketball hoop, and he's just going to run to the hoop. Say basketball, basketball, basketball. That's, that's all. It, it's like his first three-syllable word he learned a while ago. But what I, I didn't notice for a while, like, I mean, I would encourage this. It's like, yeah, man, I'd rebound for him. I'd toss the ball to him. And my wife goes, do you see how he looks at you? And I go, yeah, he wants the ball. He wants the ball back. So I, I give him the ball. She goes, no, no, watch. And I watched, and he would make a basket, and all of a sudden he would turn around with these big eyes. And in a way going, Dad, did you see me? Are you proud of me? Did, did, did you see what I did there, Dad? Are you happy? Did, are you excited? And I sat there, and I'm like, that's my son. That's my son. And in, in that present, being present in that moment, I was able, as the Bible says, with the father speaking identity into his boy, I was able to be present, and there was that purpose and identity that's being formed that we find in, in pursuing God. In our youth uh, team, we have some... Some values that we have adapted from Reggie Joyner. He's a phenomenal youth communicator down in Atlanta, Georgia. And is our challenge is to be present physically, be present mentally, and be present randomly. Meaning, physically, if you say, if you're a youth leader, you need to be there on Wednesday nights. If you're a small group leader, you need to show up on Sundays. Show up where you say you're going to be at. Show up physically. Show up mentally. Do not be on your cell phone. If they're talking, you're listening. If they're playing a game, you're watching. Show up mentally. Show up randomly. That is shooting them a text on Thursday saying, hey, man, it was so great seeing you there last night. I hope you have a great week praying for you. It might be a social media affirmation. You see, there's a power in being present that helps another generation begin to, to discover their purpose and identity. You see, too, there's too often we're getting caught up with the busyness of the life, and we're forgetting that there's a young generation looking up to us saying, how are we pursuing God? How are we pursuing God? Where are they getting their purpose and identity from? Because they're going to watch that. How do I know Exodus chapter 33, verse 11? It's kind of right before this text that we're looking at here today. There was a young man that was following Moses around. A young man named Joshua. And in that text, it actually says, when Moses left, Joshua stayed at the tent. Joshua was watching Moses, how Moses sought and followed the presence of God. He watched him. He noticed that there was this confidence that how does Moses continue to do this? He saw where Moses was getting his purpose and identity from. And he goes, I want that. What Mo Moses, what you have, I want that. And he stayed at the tent. And we see how this paid off for Joshua down the way because when Moses passes off, can you imagine trying to follow Moses in leadership? 
I mean, I can imagine Joshua, part this river. Joshua, I'm thirsty. Give me some water. Actually, better yet, give me some Arnold Palmer out of those rocks up there. Moses didn't do that. See, if, if Joshua was not confident in who God had created him to be, it would have been very easy for him to be swept up by the comparison trap of the Israelites. But because he sought the presence of God, in that presence he found his purpose and identity. Yeah, I'm not Moses. But you see, what Israel needed to get somewhere they had never been before, they needed someone that had never, that, 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 that had never done what they had done before at that point. To go somewhere you've never been, you have to do something you've never done. And, and Joshua was like, I don't, they, they don't need a Moses to bring him to the promised land. They need a Joshua. And God had to remind Joshua of that. There are promised lands that are yet to be claimed. That this next generation coming up behind us, they're watching you. They're watching us. They're watching Pastor Nate. They're watching their families. They're saying, is this what the God I want to follow? This hunger that they have, is that the hunger that I want to have? This, this purpose and identity that they have, where do they get this from? Because the promised lands we don't take are the promised lands that they need to take moving forward. But that's only going to come from seeking his presence. It's only going to come. We have Joshua's that are looking up to you. They are watching. May we be desperate to seek and follow God in a way that inspires a generation to pursue him as Joshua pursued him. Finally, it is in God's presence that we find peace. It is in his presence that we find peace. See, Moses had a peace knowing that God was with him. And God, even in chapter, or verse 17 of chapter 33, reminds Moses once again, I know you by name. In a way saying, Moses, I know what you're going through. I know your pain. I know your, I know your struggles. I know your story. I know your fears. I know your doubts. Bishop T.D. Jakes, uh, a phenomenal communicator down in Texas, has this quote, do not let your pain take your name. Do not let your pain take your name. And God had to remind Moses of that because how easy is it to allow the certain situations and circumstances of life rob you of what God has given you? There was a peace found in the presence of God. There's a story that I'm reminded of in, in Scripture with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and his followers, they were in a boat. And as the story goes, Jesus fell asleep in the boat and a storm arose. And these were seasoned fishermen that were in this boat. And they began to freak out. They began to scream. And I don't know what it would sound like to have grown men screaming. Like Jesus like, these are my followers. Yes, these are the guys I picked. The ones screaming. The fishermen screaming in the middle of a storm. This, yes, this makes sense. And Jesus wakes up from the storm and he, or from, from his sleep. And he sees these men freaking out. And as Jesus does, he steps into the picture. He, he looks at the storm. His peace be still. I believe in this moment, the disciples realized a very powerful truth, that God was in their boat. And if God's in your boat, the boat's not going to sink. If God's in your boat, you're not going to sink. So a pastor out in Seattle has a quote. He said, you might be soaked, but you're not sunk. You might be soaked. You might be dripping wet. You might feel the storms of life are hitting you, but you're not sunk. 
Because when you pursue the presence of God, you are inviting him into your boat. You are inviting him into your journey. And there is a peace that the Bible says that surpasses all understanding. A peace not that the world can give you. Not that any certain amount of likes or retweets on a social media can give you. Not any words of affirmation from a certain individual. But it's a peace that passes all human comprehension and understanding. And it only is found in his presence. It's only found in his presence. So my question here today as I begin to close is who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? Because we try to bring a lot of things along in our boat. But there's only one that's going to bring you a peace. There's only one that's going to bring you purpose. There's only one that's going to bring you a rest. There's only one person. That's our Heavenly Father. A few months ago... Um, or a little bit, or last year, my, my family, we were hit with a, a pretty big storm. Um, I'm the oldest of three boys, and uh, uh, my dad, he's the, the youngest of six. And um, in his, history, or his family, there's a history of heart conditions. And last year, I remember getting a phone call from my mom, and he, my father had had his second stroke in the last few months, and he had to go into the hospital. And in the hospital, they ran some tests, and, and while they were doing their testing, they, they discovered that all four of his arteries were at least 90% blocked. And they had to do an emergency quadruple bypass surgery on him. And I remember looking as he's getting ready to go into surgery. It's, this is a man I had looked up to. This is my hero. This is my Superman. Laying on a table, motionless, as he's getting ready to go into surgery. I remember asking God, where are you? This is a man who has served you for 30 plus years. Where are you? He came out of surgery and initially it was, like, it was looking like it was an up and up and but he had another seizure uh, or uh, another heart attack following that. And the doctors were like, we, we just don't know. He has to be able to take this medicine. He has to be able to, to come out from this. Otherwise, we don't know what's going to happen. I remember going home and the waves of the storm that life was throwing at us, they were starting to flex their muscles. Look how big I am. Look how great I am. That even this follower, your father who has followed God, where is your God now? Where is your God now? I remember walking back into that room, walking down the hallway of the hospital, and also I heard these, these noises coming out of my, my father's my, uh, hospital room. And it was the sound of people praying. And uh, my father, he's very Pentecostal. His friends, they roll in a very Pentecostal crowd, so you heard it all throughout the hospital floor. And I remember getting to the outside part of the door, and there was a feeling that came over me. There was a feeling that came over me. And in that moment, I felt God step into my boat and saying, I got you. I got you. And I began to weep outside this, this hospital. Because it was a peace. It was a, a purpose. It was a rest. It was, it was the presence of God stepping into our family's story. Saying, I got you. I'm with you. I was reminded then of an age-old promise that many of you know that I'd like to share with you this morning. Psalms 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, my God, are with me. I your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life as I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> Emmanuel, it, it, it's time. It's time, as Pastor Lee spoke last week, to be steadfast and challenge us to be steadfast and immovable. If we are going to continue to do that moving forward, we need the presence of God in our lives. As Moses said, we need to have a mentality that says, God, if you do not go with us, I will not move from where I am at. If you are not in my boat, I will not sail on. God, if you do not go with us, I will not leave. It's time for us to stop settling for these man-made fixes of saying, God, I don't want the half-truth. God, I don't want man-made. God, I don't want part of you. I want all of you, God. I want your presence, God. I need your presence, God. I desire your presence, God. I want you. And God, if you do not go with me, if your presence is not with us, we will not go. So who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? Jesus. Come on. Tell the truth, shame the devil now. Let's go. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up in this moment.